Good morning. That was uh, just chanting the name of the Bodhisattva of compassion and power. And some wonder if there really is such a being. But the fact is it doesn't really matter whether there is or there isn't. Our mind creates our reality. So for the one who actually knows for a fact that it is a being, because they've had a direct experience of that being, it is a way of calling or drawing their presence so that the vibration of that mind stream can elevate our own mind stream. You know, uh, we, are, we are with the company we keep. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but if there wasn't such a being, just imagining in my mind that there is such a being propels my own mind to that heavenly state. And that's why the Buddha talked about imbuing the mind with certain qualities. Now he said for a fact, and some of us know for a fact, and I'm sure everybody should, even without having a direct experience, recognize that in these billions of galaxies, in what we know as a phenomenal world, we're not at the top of the pecking order, and that there has got to be somebody out there besides just us. So somebody asked me if I believe in ETs. Of course I do. Who would not? I don't want to meet any, but uh, uh, certainly not from other other material planets. Uh, but surely we're not alone. And so on one hand, he says, if you can't find good friends to walk with, wise friends, compassionate friends, he said, then walk alone like a tusker in the woods. He said, it's better to walk alone than to walk with fools. And so as we try to step out of the foolishness of the mundane world, we start drawing towards people who have a more elevated uh, and balanced way of being in the world. So we ultimately become, yes, in the world, but not of the world. Not seeing the world, not seeing things with the uh, ordinary uh, mundane understanding, but penetrating deeper into the nature of reality and recognizing that we in every moment insert something into the scheme of things that change the next moment. So we are part and parcel of this world that we see. We have helped to bring it into existence. It is partly an outpicturing of our own mind and our own heart. And this is just at one level, one aspect of of seeing and understanding things. There's so many different ways to see and to understand something. And according to how many people are in this room, there are at least that many ways to see and to understand something. So sometimes where we're situated, what we're looking at, or the angle from which we are seeing may not always agree with um, with what's being said, but we say it anyway. And maybe at another time, it will. Or maybe it won't, and that's okay too. But what I wanted to talk about briefly before we go into meditation today, as this is our last day before the new year, is I want to talk about progression in our practice. 
This is probably going to be one of the shortest talks that I've given because it's not a whole lot to say about it. We just have to keep saying it over and over. And there is a progression to awakening or enlightenment that occurs, but only after we're able to let go of prior attachments and ways of perceiving and doing things. So you can't fix a problem with the same mind that created it. And so as we try to progress in meditation, we come up against a limitation of a mind that already sees and knows and understands some things. And we are tempted to grasp and hold on to that understanding and try to fit everything that's coming at us into that existing understanding. And it takes a long time to progress that way. So as we are able to let go of prior attachments, and attachments, that's different from just knowing something. The Buddha said, you can say, this is true. You know it directly. This is true. He said, but never say, and this only is true. And learning something new, exposing oneself, pondering something new, often flies in the face of what we already know until we have broadened the mind to also be able to accommodate that. And when we do that, then we can say, and this also is true. But if we reject because it flies in the face of what we already know, what we haven't experienced, then where shall we go? (laughs) And sometimes we can have a taste of something, a glimpse of something. We can stumble and fall into something. We don't even know how we got there. But yet we had that experience, and we cannot deny that it's true, but we don't know by what means this has occurred, or we don't even know what it means, or how even to use it or apply it in our life. Sometimes we have to have the experience and have to unpack it. So it's not established, this new level of perceiving or understanding something. And so... We're not free to move on to the next step because it has not become established and developed. When the Buddha teaches us about the progression in meditation, we put forth a lot of efforting to uh, attain each level. But it's not done in that way. The efforting really has to go into once we have had a taste and experience of something, not wrapping and grasping around that, but acknowledging and knowing that we have had it and then just letting it stand for what it was. And when we come to a place that we are are firmly aware and understand that experience, and yet we're not attached to this, not our new thing, our new way of looking at something. The, the, you know, it's, this is not our next schlick. Then we can progress to the next level. We're not going to be able to intellectualize our way into the next level. We only get into the next level with the abandonment of attachment to the last one. And so our efforting has to go into sitting with and fully being with whatever level we're on until we come to the end of it. And we lose our, um, you know, when we have some kind of experience, we, we're in armored with the experience. Like, you know, like this is really good. And yeah, I, I really got somewhere in my meditation and I'm, you know, but that is the grasping around or the clinging to. It's a past experience, an attachment to that. 
And until we become, when I say dispassionate, dispassionate sounds like such a bad world, word because this world is so uh, uh, attached to passion. <laughs> so it, it seems like so deadening. But actually, it's not deadening. It's like coming to the fullness of something as opposed to, um, you know, wanting to... Uh, Becoming detached from it. It's not like becoming detached. It's like actually coming to the fullness of it. When you come to the fullness of it, nothing else to do with it. Nowhere else to go with it. It just is. It just becomes something that gets posited in our bank of experiences for whatever usefulness it serves, but there's no grasping around it and no tying and developing a me and my and mine around it. And when that happens, that is what opens the portal to the next level of accomplishment. We cannot force our way in. We can't kick in the door. We can't climb in the window. We get to the next level through dispassion for what we have already attained. So it's sort of like the previous level becomes um, meaningless. There is like a balancing out. Um, there's a leveling of the playing field. It's no more uh, a running towards that for anything that it can give you. It just is. Now, it doesn't mean that one abandons then all the mundane interactions that's needed to carry on in this life. But it means that all those things just have a different meaning. So I'm not telling anybody that, you know, if we talk about um, uh, abandoning attachment in our relationships, we're not saying, okay, now everybody go get a divorce. We're not saying that. We're not saying, you know, uh, give up your loved ones. We're not saying that. But we understand our connection to them in a different way in a way that's not so clingy and grasping, that's not so neediness, needy. So we abandon our neediness. Most people are in a relationship out of neediness. Most can't uh, find it difficult to be alone with themselves, even when they are alone with themselves, even when they have lived with themselves for years and years and years, and they never come to a reasonable degree of self-awareness. And so they're always in a state of discontentment because they're looking out here for someone or for Something. One benefit of meditation is that it enables us to experience increased self-awareness. But we can only do that as we discard the things that we cling to. We can see how this works in the natural world. For example, <laughs> legs and feet. It's good that we have them, and we use them uh, for transportation. You know, we uh, can run as quickly as we can, but then we invented the wheel, and the, the wheel can move faster. So we have bicycles, and then we created the engine and we put it together with the wheels and we have a train and the train 
can move even faster and can go further. But when we could forget the wheel and develop wings, we had the airplane that could go even faster than we can go on wheels. But while wings were good, we needed jet propulsion to go even faster. And from jet propulsion, we needed something that could even exceed those limitations. And we have satellites now without jet propulsion. And yet we still find that there are just natural things that can still move faster than all the things that we have created. Just natural things. Mm. It's exceeding the limitations of those things that are man-made and that rely upon the human intellect. We are still trying to just catch up with nature. So like light is an intangible and we can and, and light can travel between the sun and the earth, I'm told, in just seven minutes. How can we achieve such velocity? Well, we have to discard form, right? But even light has its limits (laughs) to speed. So in achieving formlessness, it's possible to travel through our thoughts from one point to another instantaneously. How is that possible? We have to even discard the notion of travel. You see. So when we try to move beyond our current limitations, we cannot always carry over our current thoughts about things, about how things work, about the nature of reality. But we have to be open to the discovery. And that's the difference in making progress on this path or just regurgitating and trying to understand concepts that are written in words. We have to go beyond words. And we can touch a limitless aspect of not only mind, but heart. The only way that we can abandon Fear is through non-fear. Hatred is through non-hatred. And if we are caught or trapped in certain unwholesome states, you know, we can't think of the method of travel from here in this state to its opposite state. Because we think that there is a a path that we have to travel to get there. But it's not a path that we have to travel to get there. It is the dropping or the abandoning 
of what we cling to that holds us here. For instance, we can't, let's say that someone does something to us. And, uh, you know, like I want to forgive them, but actually I'm just not through being mad with them right now. (laughs) You know, like, but, but yeah, I'm trying. I'm trying to forgive them. But what flies in the face of that is the attachment for holding on to what you consider something egregious that they have done. And that actually holds a higher place in your awareness than the possibility that your love could be so vast and so magnanimous that it could even cover that. This is what we're called upon if we want to make progress on this path. I mean, we have there's many paths. We could just choose one. But if we choose this one, then we have to meet the standards of the path to make progress on it. And that usually flies in the face of everything that we're feeling right where we are. It's actually kind of one way you can know (laughs) that you're on it because you're confronted. This self-awareness. You're confronted with oneself. Uncomfortable maybe even with what one sees. And befuddled even in how to move from where we are now to what our ideal is. As a Christian, I totally had an ideal, but I just couldn't seem to get in there. I couldn't like I couldn't, I was missing something in my toolkit. But I'm so happy to have discovered the Dharma because he gives me, he gives me the long version, the short version, the intermediate version. He said, whichever one you can do, just start with one. He said, you can lay an axe to the root and bam, it's done. If you can't do that, you know, you can take a little longer, you can stretch it out and you can take these steps. He said, and if that's still too much for you, not to worry. Uh, You have all the time in this world, this life, the next one, and the next one, and the next one. So you can take the long path if you want. But there were the choices, the how-tos laid out. And what I liked about it was just this encouragement that if I really followed the instruction, you know, I could attain my goals in seven years. I'd already been at something for 30. I'm like, I, I could easily do another seven. He said, actually, not seven years, seven months. I said, oh, yeah. They said, not even seven months, seven days. Now, obviously, <laughs> I haven't given it my whole heart because it's been a lot longer than seven days. But what I can say is that the noose is no longer tight around my neck. That's what I know about me. That's the self-awareness that I have. Now I'm saying a a me because sometimes I think we misunderstand this whole thing about no self. And that's not today's Dhamma talk. But this fastening around my ideas is one of the ways that I construct or constitute upon your body. And the way I concretize 
and end up walking in place because that, like that's me that's that's my personal that's the way I am that's and I give myself all these reasons for staying just as I am so I can read and I can discuss Dharma and uh, I can tell you your faults and uh, I can have an idea about how to fix everything out there (laughs) and still be a wretch undone because this is the way of self-awareness. And when we cut closer and closer and closer, we have to do the same things that we're finding that we have to do in physics and whatever, all those other disciplines that, that have scientists. We go from one form to another to another and then even into formlessness. Even us. And so, um, the other day we were, um, we had volunteers and who came to help get us ready for this retreat. And we have uh, uh, 40 people. I said I was going to cut it off at 15 um, because we were tired <laughs> at the end of the year. But, you know, no time. Right, no time to be tired. And so I'm very happy, very happy because everyone has helped make it possible over the last few months to get this house uh, finished and ready to accommodate people. And you can see how they are coming. And so... uh, Five people showed up to help. You know, we had to, we have lots of beds and lots of blinds to be dusted and, you know, bathrooms to be freshened and all of these things and floors waxed and, and everybody was work, was coming to work so hard. And I started doling out assignments. And, um, so, uh, uh, Satima came and she said, wait, wait, stop. First, I want to thank you all so much for coming and for helping. And then I turned to them and I said, yes, but I do a different training. No. We have to train to not need, not needing to be thanked, not needing to be appreciated, just doing what we see needs to be done without any notion of there is an I doing because that's where the freedom is that we do without doing and then nothing goes undone. So it's being able to understand both sides so we don't always have to be, be propped up and noticed and acknowledged we just do. That is the way of the superior man. And there's something so liberating and freeing in that. There really is. It takes away this weightiness of the eye, the one that keeps tally, keeps records, keeps score, the one that compares to what another is doing, and my, one of my masters helped me with that because she asked me to do something and I did it. And after I did it, she asked me to do it again. And I mean, it looked all right the first time. No. But I said, okay, and I did it again. And then she asked me to do it a third time. And uh, something in my manner started to shift. <laughs> A little bit. Uh, But she was training me. You know, she was training me not to look at what I do and ascribe that 
to me. And she had me do this thing so many times, you know, and I said, why don't you give me something else to do? I don't mind doing, I'd do anything she asked me to do, just don't ask me to do that again. But she just kept on with that. And then she went to something else, and she started doing the same thing again and again. And finally, I got it. But she knew instantly when I got it. Because all of the energy, the charge that was there, the aversion that was there, the clinging to me and mine and what I'm doing and what I've done, all of that fell away. And then it didn't matter whether she asked me to do one thing 12 times or 12 different things. And it didn't matter whether she asked me to do something or not do anything. You know, if she didn't ask me, it's like, I want to be teacher's pet. You know, she, she asked me to go fix her lunch. Or she asked me, you know, all of these ways, you see. But what a master does is they know, they look at you and they know what is your sickness, your particular sickness. And it's their job to give you the medicine for your particular sickness. So one of my masters said to me, Paniwadi, what is the purpose of a master? And I had some ideas, you know. And she said, no, 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 no. The only purpose of a master is to show you that you too are a master. The only difference is that the master knows their mastery. And you don't know yours. So when we look at a teacher, no matter what we think we are seeing, we see them, I see you, we're actually seeing ourselves. It all points back to us. So as we go into meditation today, I want to give you a little tip about how to go further. As you're sitting, and it has its own way of working, you know, the whole thing is that once we get still, having set aside grief and covetousness for the world, <laughs> I mean, like we think we go to meditate to uproot grief and covetousness. He said, no, 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 no. You can't get into meditation until you've already uprooted grief and covetousness for the world. So when we there's some preliminary work we need to do. And the better we do the preliminary work, then the better, the more progress we'll make. It's like how we construct our foundation. And the better the foundation, the more stable the house. The deeper the foundation, the taller the building can be. So setting aside grief and covetousness for the world requires a decision. It requires us laying aside just for right now, just for these few minutes that we are sitting. We learn to do it for a few minutes, and then we can do it longer and longer. And one day we lay it down and we don't pick it up anymore. We decide it's too heavy. We decide it's a distraction. We decide not worth the angst that it costs us. But setting aside any kind of animosity, dissatisfaction with anything or anyone, just for a few minutes, I want to let it go. Now, I'll pick it up after, after our meditation session. I'll go back, finish, you know, chewing on it, nursing it, doing whatever I need to do with it. But right now, just 
I can let it go for these few minutes because I know I have the option to pick it back up if I want to carry it. So I can lay it down for a few minutes. I'm not going to think about that. I'm not going to think about I'm feeling bad. I'm not going to think about for me, for instance, my our uh, website crashed three times this week. Each time that we called our hoster, you know, they sold me something else to fix the problem. So this morning I got an email. And the person said, we've been trying to send you a large donation for a week, but every time we go to your website, it's down. <clears throat> so I called GoDaddy, but I had a little bit of charge <laughs> in my conversation, you know. Particularly when I called and asked for the uh, hosting troubleshooters, and they're like, I can't transfer you yet until I go through these stages, and this is the sales department. I said, I'm going to tell you right now, you're not going to sell me anything else today. Um I need to get to a person who can fix this because I've paid twice for it to be fixed. And this is not the time for this. I said, you have to know at a nonprofit, we're at the end of the year. And the last year, last month of the year is our greatest, uh, it's the greatest uh, time for, for donations. And most nonprofits depend on December for their fundraising for the year. I said, so this is not just like a little trivial thing um, that you can get to whenever you can. I need you to fix this today. And and so he said, well, I need you to not tell me. Yeah, he said that. I need you to not tell me what department you need to be transferred to. I said, now I need your supervisor. He said, well, there's certain things I have to do before you can even get to a supervisor. So now I'm calling my IT guy and saying, you know what, I think it's time to change uh, companies. And uh, it's a good thing, probably, that he's on the other side of the of the world. <laughs> and then I had to just laugh because the mind was starting to go in a certain place. <laughs> you know? And uh, this is the nature of the unenlightened mind. But when we are self-aware, we can catch it at whatever point, you know, we choose could have caught it sooner than that. I could say, I could just be patient. You know, but I thought, it's like if you see your prize stallion running towards a precipice, you don't say, wait, come back. You say, stop! You know, so I thought he needed one of those stops. But that didn't help. So then I said, okay, then maybe I need to stop. Somebody had to stop to go forward. So I stopped. And I learned to laugh right there in that situation to just take the power out of it. And then that just becomes another thing that happens in the course of the day. These are the kinds of things we have to deal with. They're the vicissitudes of life, and the alternative is to die. And so we learn to take these things in stride. And we work on ourselves because we're not going to be able to fix everything out there. We see and understand everything through our own personal limitations or through our own personal experience with things. This much that we know about a person and we have decided that we know everything that needs to be known about them. And we make certain judgments based on this much information. Good judgments, bad judgments, judgments nevertheless, based on a teaspoon of information. And we say we see and we know. And he says, stop it. 
Because that is the root of your anxiety, of your fear, of our anger, of our trepidation, of our sadness, of our grief, of our worry. And so we are confronted with all of these things. And the first step is to attain something else. I can't walk through the portal carrying all of that. So I agree to set it aside. Not only the grief for the world, but anything that I'm clinging to. My pride, my reputation, my good name, the great deeds I've done, who I am, what I do, my, and all of these things. Can't take that either. And so strip down. It's like standing naked before the wind. Totally exposed and yet as free as I can be because I'm not carrying anything with me. You know, doing a lot of travel has helped me a lot because I used to carry a lot of bags. But the more I traveled, the more difficult and tedious that got. So I started collapsing things into, you know, one bag. And I have one bag and a carry-on. Then the airline started charging for a bag. So now I just had a carry-on. Now they're starting, some of the airlines charge for a carry-on. One of them charges $50 for a carry-on. You know, and all it takes is for one to do it and be able to do it. And people pay. So I could tell you all across the board, Probably coming up in 2018, they're all going to start charging for a carry-on because at least one airline is charging for it right now. So now I've started figuring out how to roll my robe and my shirt and fit that all into what they consider a oversized handbag, you know, to carry on your shoulder. And that's not a carry-on. You know, it doesn't have wheels. It doesn't have, you know, like backpack strap. It's just like a a large purse. You know, I don't know what you guys going to do. But uh, I can make that work. But see, it's sometimes uh, necessity, you know, is the mother of invention. And so out of necessity, I lay it all down. When I see... When I feel the arising suffering in any situation, I know then that I'm grasping and I'm clinging. So whatever it is for you right now, just set that aside. Being willing to. See, it's the willing part. Are you willing? If you are, immediately you can enter into the rest of non-attachment. And immediately you can experience the peace and the upliftment. It's a kind of joy that the world didn't give you, so the world can't take it from you. It's there, it's always there. But you have to peel back the layers of worldliness to know it. And so, that thing that had me so perturbed an hour ago, absolutely does not now
the minute you turn the mind, it's not like a literal turning where you have to cross a boundary, you know, cross some territory, cross some ground. What I'm saying is that this is a formless thing that's instantaneous. To think it, to think in this new way, is to instantly be there. That's the fast method. And as often as we do this, the quicker we can lay down our burdens. And the quicker we can move from a state of confusion to being absolutely not confused. To totally seeing things as they are. To recognize cause and condition. And to set up the next moment in part through our highest and best response to the present moment. And as we just sit in this kind of way, a peacefulness begins to dawn. It's like having a get-out-of-jail-free card when you play in Monopoly. You don't worry about landing in jail. It means like even if you fail, you could just whip out your card. You know? So we don't hold any, or harbor any kind of sense of inadequacy because there's not perfection manifesting yet. I just whip out my get-out-of-jail-free card. And the more we learn that we can be free just like that, it's a good starting point. And if you think about it just a little bit, you can know that your state can be enhanced by where uh, your heart is. So one who has an open and loving heart is a possessor of all the beauty that the world has. It means then that we can enjoy things without them having us. It means that we can engage freely in relationships, but without neediness. It means that we can be in a place with others and not be seeking out our own. What's in it for me? It means that we can move effortlessly through the world. It means that we have a, um, a greater capacity to cut the drama out of our lives. And then we start experiencing and tasting a peace that truly passes all understanding. 
We can come back and reset when we slide off of our point. We can hold the things that we don't know in a clear conscience and with a good heart. We develop the patience to wait for the conditions to be right to produce our highest and best good. And this that we inherit for ourselves, we wish for every other being. And even now as we're sitting, if we've been willing to lay down all of our notions, conclusions, judgments, feelings about these events and the people in our lives, there's something that begins to happen inside, in the body and in the mind. And this is just the beginning. This sense of ease, a kind of liberty. The body starts to manufacture and release endorphins instead of cortisol. I don't have to take medicine to calm down. If I just turn in a particular direction, the body will produce the state and release the innate medicine that I need to balance myself. And I sit giving this inner medicine, these hormones, time to have their effect in the body and in the mind. So some of this just takes time. Just abiding happily. Eyes can be open. Eyes can be closed. But just not resting on anything. Not wanting to pick anything up. Tasting the freedom of non-attachment. And we made that decision. So there's some sense of empowerment that begins to arise because we did make that decision. We decided. And we have tasted the benefit. We're experiencing the powering down and the release. And this is before we even get started with the meditation.
And as often as we do this, we will know our still point. And in the beginning, it may take us a while to get there. But once we know exactly where it is, to think it is to be there. So I might suggest if you're not having the success that you desire in your meditation, work on the preliminaries. Being fully committed to holding what you already know in a good conscience, but being open and available to apprehend what you don't yet know. And this openness creates the space to actually know something directly. We can't go to the next level without mastering this one. So your assignment for this week is when you notice that you're becoming fixed or locked in to your view around something. It can be something that is immediately occurring. It can be a recurring situation. It can be habitual tendency, the way I habitually work with certain things or certain people or certain issue. Can you when you recognize it, can you stop right there? The first step is practicing stopping. The second step is to not Take your thoughts or your speech or your action as you or yours. It's decidedly impersonal. That allows you to really look at it without feeling shame, without a sense of blame. It allows you to handle it. because there's no sting to it. So first is recognizing when there is no platform for peace in a situation and stopping our thoughts about it. Choosing the opposite. So if somebody says, well, what's the opposite of, you know, anger? What's the opposite of it? what you're feeling right now? The opposite of that. And you have to figure out what that is. You have to figure out what you're feeling. You have to figure out what the opposite of that is for you. That's the work that's required. And then make the decision. The happiness and the joy is the fruit of something. It's the fruit. You don't have to try to get happy or get joy. It is produced spontaneously from the right efforts of letting go. Twenty eighteen, I believe, is going to be a real pivotal 
year for our country. I live here. Whatever decisions are made here, they not only affect me, they speak for me, unfortunately. A lot of decisions that have been made this past year were not ones I would have chosen. So only two things can happen, or three, they can, it can get better, it can get worse, or it can stay the same. And whether it gets better or not depends on the actions of many people including myself. The one thing I can do for sure is to take a little bit of the anger and fear and sense of hopelessness out of the world by not conjuring up any myself. I can educate myself. There are a lot of things I started educating myself about this year. I wish I had started a couple of years earlier because maybe I could have spoken uh, to some of my friends in a way that um, could have helped Um, to make better decisions and choices this year. Maybe I could have recognized someone suffering more than I did or, or some group's sense of not being heard. Or maybe, you know, I'm just looking at how to be better next year than I was this year. And if I spend all my time blaming and hating somebody, that's where all the energy's gonna go. Now fuel and feed the mass consciousness that so let's give that up this year, okay? Maybe I could better use that time doing something to strengthen bonds, to bring more peace. To allow some things to naturally fall away. Maybe I don't have to be in everything. I have an opinion about everything. Maybe I can be more accepting because I understand cause and condition. Maybe I can understand just how the laws of nature work. And until there's enough of an upswing, there can't be a shift in the other direction. Maybe we have to meet, reach critical mass around some ideas. And maybe it took some of this for us to come to some definite conclusions about what things are useful and what things should be about. But it starts like this being totally still. 
I'm going to end right here. And we didn't have to sit and close our eyes and, and wonder what we're doing, if we're doing anything, and is this right, and is this working, anything. It's just getting acquainted with the stillness. And then we come to know it as our friend. But it takes that time of getting acquainted and deciding that we really want this. Yeah, some of us not ready to give up our drama yet. <laughs> Haven't suffered enough yet. All right, guys, I thank you so much for coming. <laughs> May you be well and happy and peaceful. May no harm come to you and no danger. May you always be able to meet with the inevitable difficulties of life, right? <laughs> thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.